Our patients are dying from a lack of oxygen carrying capacity, not a lack of respiratory capacity or a lack of oxygen in the atmosphere or a lack of oxygen in the respirator machine. They're dying because we're not treating the hemoglobin. It turns out that hydroxychloroquine, the main thing that it does is change the shape of the red blood cell. Malaria is a parasite that attacks the red blood cell. And so it turns out that hydroxychloroquine is one of the few medications that somebody could reach for to help improve oxygen carrying capacity of the blood. Now it turns out that it's a much more effective approach called a cyanide poisoning kit that takes just three quick injections and then you change the shape of the hemoglobin into methemoglobin and it does fine. And so we can treat cyanide poisoning in a matter of minutes, not weeks on a respirator where they're dying from pneumonia. And so, you know, I've been getting this out to the medical community through different paths in the last couple of weeks, begging our physicians on the front lines to start using the simple cyanide kit that every single hospital has. And if it works, if I'm even remotely right, you'll see that patient change right in front of your eyes. Like in five minutes, you'll know that you just saved that person's life. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. You can have the same brain states as someone who's done an hour of meditation every day for 40 years. There's a lot of losses that we go through, so the ability to be able to cope with those losses is very important to build skill in it, because loss will happen. You know, you have to have spiritual courage to really grow spiritually, because if you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Josh Trent. What is good in your world? There is always something good. You made it to Wellness Force. Today, there is something great here for you. I would say even godlike. Coming on the show for the very first time, one of the most pivotal and powerful episodes ever, and I do mean ever, in over five years of Wellness Force. And this Facebook Live podcast has been heard by over a quarter of a million people in less than two weeks, touched by its message. Today, I'm honored, I'm proud, I'm all the things, <laughs> stoked and excited to bring you the renowned multidisciplinary physician of internal medicine, endocrinology, hospice care, and an internationally recognized educator on the microbiome as it relates to human health and food systems, including our soil, the regenerative future. This man is the one and only Dr. Zach Bush, MD. We're going to get right to the show. I know a lot of you are here for the first time. Welcome. Many of you are here because you're aware of the humanity and consciousness that is being initiated. We're in a powerful initiation right now with COVID-19, more than ever before. In this episode, Zach Bush, MD, is going to explore humanity's awakening in the global shutdown. We're going to learn how Mother Nature designs herself so when there is an extreme event, she responds with more life and biodiversity. We're talking with Zach about why COVID-19 actually is not a respiratory virus and what COVID-19 actually is. We'll explore how spraying pesticides and insecticides has actually increased COVID-19's impact, the use of hydroxychloroquine and cyanide poisoning kits against COVID-19, We'll talk about the man-made environmental devastation created on farms, how this impacts Mother Earth, the solution, how we can heal ourselves, starting with our gut and the gut-brain axis with the Ion Biome product, which Zach Bush's team was kind enough to give us a generous discount on. We also talked about this fascinating redox system, the way that our cells communicate with one another without using words, and we talked about how to connect our head to our heart the emotional quotient behind the spiritual and physical worlds that we're all blended in at all times here on the planet. You know, a lot of people in our audience have written me and talked about how much the episode with Leslie Manukian has impacted their intelligence when it comes to vaccines and COVID-19. And I promise you, by the end of this show, 
you'll have a firm understanding of exactly what to do to empower your own health, boost your own immunity, and take care of yourself and your family and your friends when it comes to COVID-19. Please do me a favor, share this podcast. We're in a time that's unprecedented in censorship and lockdowns. We have Joe Rogan leaving YouTube because of YouTube censorship going specifically and primarily over to Spotify for an exclusive deal. When a man like Joe Rogan has paid $100 million to go to Spotify, you know that censorship is real. Zach Bush MD has also been censored on Instagram for his truthful and honest medical views on COVID-19. Now, you know when Dr. Zach Bush is ridiculed or chastised or censored by the powers that be, he's onto something. You know that you can trust this man with truth about what's happening. He has such a massive impact across the world, helping farmers, helping families, helping you and I discover physical and emotional intelligence and the connection to spirit that guides us all. If you're inspired by this man, and I know you're going to be, if you want to heal your gut and use the Ion Biome product, he gave us 15% off. Thank you, Zach Bush. Thank you to the entire Zach Bush team. Go to wellnessforce.com forward slash biome, B-I-O-M-E. Enter the code Josh1KS. That's code Josh1KS at wellnessforce.com forward slash biome. When you care for your own gut health, you can care for others. And when you have the energy and the health and the wellness to care for others, you can truly be free. Look, the reality is we don't know what the future holds, but we know right now with men like Zach Bush leading the charge for humanity and consciousness, COVID-19 will essentially become a blip on our radar as long as we have the courage to speak our truth. Hello, everyone. It's Josh Trent. I'm here with a very, very, very special guest, Dr. Zach Bush. Thank you for coming on Wellness Force. Welcome to Facebook Live as well. Wonderful to be here with you and the audience in the world. Uh, special thing to be alive and, and right now with 7 billion people. That's right. You know, so many people have been following you, whether it's on Rich Roll podcast or just the incredible work that you're doing with Farmer's Footprint. But most people don't know this about you, the connection that you have if they just learned about your work to the soil and the way that the earth breathes. You know, the, the humus is how the earth has lungs. And we have that same thing inside of us. And so this connection between the two, for people that don't know you, um, what do you feel right now in this moment that is top of heart for you uh, in regards to your work? You know, what, what is really on the top of your consciousness and heart in this very moment uh, right now with all that's going on in the world? I am overwhelmed really on a regular basis over the last few months of work as I've been putting together a huge, you know, deep research dive and and public, you know, presentation of what is the virome, what it, what is really being done by viruses in the world. And the deeper I look, the more profound beauty you find uh, that Mother Nature has from the very origins of life on this planet uh, been utilizing this this information stream of, of genomic transfer that we call viruses as the, the most exquisite of design in not just communication for sustaining life, but communication for expanding life. And it, you know, there's something deeply true about the physics behind that and that the universe is expanding for reasons that we still don't understand. The, you know, each planet is, you know, or each solar system and each galaxy getting further and further away from one another 
it defies our you know tiny little perspective from this little blue dot that floats out in a, a remote you know outcast in a small galaxy in the middle of billions and billions of other galaxies we don't have the perspective to understand expansion this little tiny planet mother nature has designed herself such that when there is cataclysmic events she responds with more life and more biodiversity we've had five massive extinctions in the fossil record we're in the midst of the sixth extinction and what we see in in the truth of the planet is that when she sees death it is an opening and an opportunity for more life than's ever existed before and i want to all of the families that have lost somebody in recent weeks, whether from influenza, pneumonia, COVID, cancer, heart disease, all the things that claim anybody in any given day of the week, I want to recognize that those deaths, in their perfect timing, even if we can't see or rationalize why it's perfect, in the perfect timing of the recycling of life, more life comes behind it with more vigor and more biodiversity. And you might not be able to see it right now. Biodiversity is collapsing. And so you have to say, well, that's not working right now, Zach, because it's the same thing in the fall. As you see all of the greenery of the planet dry up and apparently die. And the next week, there's even more dry dead leaves. And the next week, there's no leaves left on the trees. And it looks like there's been just devastation to the world's forests. It's because there's a massive storage event happening of energy and creativity within the womb of, of Mother Nature. We go back into that womb in this point of contraction of the human, human spirit and moments of fear and contractions of, of species as we lose one species to extinction every 20 minutes now. As we go through this collapse, there is an utter beauty beneath the surface there. There's this extraordinary, glorious anticipation and planning and and uh, orchestration, if you will, of this symphony of life that's going to come next. We have a couple of options. Like we get to either see and witness and be witness to that extinction event as spiritual and biologic beings that can acknowledge life passing, feel the feel the all the appropriate emotions and spiritual existential experiences in that. We should do that no matter what. But we also might have the opportunity to change everything and change the course such that the sixth extinction is not going to follow the course of the other five where we lost 85 to 97 percent of life on Earth. What if we halted it here at a 50 percent loss of life yeah. and then got to play and then got to play in that co-creative regenerative journey into the near future that could be just a couple decades away of seeing more life on planet earth than has happened in the 200,000 year brief history of humankind. We could participate on that level. And that gives me great, great hope. Wow. Um, the depth in which you speak is so profound because so many people right now are asking a big question and that is, oh my gosh, this is what death looks like. Death of ecosystems, death of regenerative soils, death of the way that we used to live, death of an unconscious capitalistic model that no longer can squeeze water out of the towel. There's so many things dying right now. So from that death, what, what do you see Zach, coming through? from your perspective? Like if something's dying here, which it is, so many things, what's taking the place of that with new life? I think we, so this is kind of like, um, we're in that moment, I feel like, where a mother is about to find out that she's pregnant. In a weird way, a recent article, a great study showed that Amazon now knows when a woman is pregnant before she knows she's pregnant. 
because they can track her behaviors and and there's subtle predictable shifts in her behavior as she has this quickening and it's mapped out in her consumer behavior and what she's looking at and what she's interested in and she doesn't even know she's pregnant yet i'm fascinated by that quickening and i think that humanity is having a quickening as we enter the womb of this global shutdown i think we picked this as as a people and I'm seeing this. I'm seeing people that could easily be working right now that are saying, well, COVID's here, so I can't work. No, BS, you wanted a break. Yeah. You wanted to take a break. We've all been longing we for also the have, pause. We've all been longing for this yes, deep breath. Absolutely. And now I don't have to travel every week to go talk to people. People have come comfortable enough that, well, Zach's on Zoom. That's good enough. Well, fantastic. <laughs> right. That just saved me, you know, three days of exhaustion and travel and everything else. So, yeah. you know, we needed the pause. Yeah. We're in the womb. We don't even know we're in the womb right now. We think we have a pandemic going on. We think we have all this stuff and and none of those numbers are going to work out right. Like we are seeing through the glass very darkly right now on, on, on the truth around the pandemic. But what we are in is a womb like pause mm-hmm. and it's not gentle. You know, I want to recognize that there are families out there, 57 percent of households in America before this all happened, were one paycheck away from from going into debt or bankruptcy. And checks have been stopped for months now uh, for many households. And the level of abuse that's happening in homes today. um, I was just on a phone call this morning from top officials in the government, and I was overwhelmed by the sadness of it. Uh, The amount of child abuse, the amount of spousal abuse, the amount of substance abuse going on right now in these households that have no hope of recovery in the near future because they're so far in debt. Their credit cards are maxed out. Um, They've lost their jobs. And it's being taken out on the most vulnerable of them. So I don't want to paint some bucolic picture of this. Uh, volcanoes are not gentle, you know, transformers. And none of the cataclysmic events that change the course of the planet are gentle. And there's great tragedy and, and life loss happening right now around the planet. Only a small amount of it has anything to do with the COVID virus. The tragedies that are at hand are a long-standing human behavior of self-abuse that then trickles into, you know, familial abuse and, and, you know, abuse of the planet because we know the golden rule, treat treat others as you would treat yourself because we've never really loved ourselves and we don't know how to see the beauty in ourselves to fall in love with ourselves. We treat others as we treat ourselves, which is not very pretty. And so uh, this crisis that we're in is really putting a pressure cooker on the former consciousness and behavior of humankind. And if we don't take the opportunity to really rebirth in this chapter, and I don't know if the chapter is a few weeks long, months long, or if we have a few decades ahead where we have to transform. But if we decide in these next few weeks as the government says, okay, we, all's well now, we were, we were wrong, you're ready to go. Yeah. If we go back to normal, i.e. where we were 12 weeks ago, we will just follow on down to our own extinction. There needs to be a rebirth, a quickening. And I think I see it happening across the world right now where that we're about to have a baby kind of realization is, is really real. That real, there's new life coming through us is really quite possible. Well, as a physician, you know that the sodium potassium pump in the body and the high low pressure in nature, nature has these irrefutable laws. Like there's no such thing in nature as year over year over year growth. It doesn't exist. Yet we've treated nature as if it does. 
and the way that we've been abusing Mother Earth, I feel like, I'm curious how you feel, we have become, our behavior at least, has become a virus to Mother Earth. And so this COVID virus to me resembles Mother Earth shedding a virus of itself. No, I think that's eloquent. I think I think that's uh, you know plays out pretty well in the biology right now. You know the um, physiology that I've been sharing for the last couple of weeks is is pretty beautiful. You know that people are not dying of of some respiratory virus. Uh, we know that COVID patients showing up, fifty seven hundred patients published in a recent paper out of New York City, five thousand seven hundred patients showing up. And it has all their vital signs, all their initial laboratories, et cetera. Not a, and their average temperature is stone cold normal. They don't have a fever. Their white blood cell count, to, totally normal. No leukocyte shifts suggesting a viral infection. They have no, uh, no change in respiratory rate. They have no change in any of the things. There's nothing on that 5,700 patient that, that make it look like that is an infected group. There's nothing that says infection. What it instead shows us is a, is a toxin poisoning to the red blood cell. And so the red blood cells have been poisoned uh, to a small percentage of people around the world. And the pockets of those poisonings have happened in the highest rates of air pollution in the whole world, beginning at the most toxic air in any given year being Wuhan province, where the whole thing began. And that 2.5 you know, micron air pollution, which is a very well-tracked you know, phenomenon that you know, all governments track in their own environments and NASA tracks for the world, we know that 2.5, every microgram increase in 2.5 you know, micron uh, air pollution is a 20-fold increase in risk of death from this viral syndrome that we have going on. Well, 20-fold increase in death is more than any virus in history. Uh, and then if we treat that wrong, if we treat it like a respiratory failure, as if it was pneumonia instead of a, a poisoning of the red blood cell, then we increase that again. Uh, death toll out of that recent you know, New England Journal uh, article, I think it was, maybe it was JAMA for New York City. We have an 88% death toll in U.S. hospitals from this syndrome. 88% death toll is higher than Ebola or any other condition in history. On the cruise ships where we had absolutely no medical care for elderly people with an average age on those cruise ships over 70, we had a 0.1% death rate. And so we're doing better job sequestering elderly people with comorbidities on cruise ships with no health care than we are putting them in ICUs in New York. We've lost the force for the trees as medical people, as scientists and all the rest. Because of the fear that has been baked into the story about a virus, we are not seeing the clear picture of this is literally air toxins, cyanide being a very likely player here because cyanide poisoning looks exactly like what these patients are showing up with. They show up blue, very low oxygen concentrations without any signs of infection, and then they develop multi-organ failure, confusion, you know, delirium, and then die of, of you know, weeks later of pneumonia. That's cyanide poisoning's journey. You can read and just Google cyanide poisoning and then read a New York Times article about what these patients see. It's as clear as day. We have to, as physicians, be cut free of the fear of some deadly, mysterious virus. Come to quickly realize we've seen coronaviruses every year since at least 740 years back. There's some good data saying our first register, you know, recorded coronaviruses were 1,200 years back. And so for hundreds of years, we've been seeing many, many, you know, millions of perhaps variants of coronavirus. And so now we have this new one. There's no reason we should describe any 
fearful or terrifying quality to it. It happens that it binds air pollution at the 2.5 micron size and it binds to the surface of the lung appropriately because the lung is designed to absorb that genetic information. So a benign update to the genomic code comes in the form of a virus produced by another human. The human carries that you know, over air pockets over oceans or respiratory droplets for a few feet. But the aerial transportation of this is global. The lung is designed to take in a certain amount of this genetic information, not to overwhelm the body. And so most of us are breathing it in and we're fine. Maybe some of us get a couple of days of fatigue, a little bit of achiness, a little brain fog, and then it clears. Some people will then get fever uh, uh, five days or 10 days after that experience. And that's because there's secondary pneumonia uh, or bacterial things going on related to the lack of antioxidants and other things in your body or related to the hypoxic injury that happened at the tissue level. But that's downstream. It's not the viral transition at all. Then we screw up that balance that I just described by putting people on pharmaceutical drugs for the three things that people have actually been shown to, to increase risk of dying, which is cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, and diabetes. Why are people with those conditions dying of a lung virus? We were told that this was a lung virus. Why are those COPD, the primary lung condition, is the fourth you know, down the list of, of comorbidities that increase your risk of death? The top three have are treated by demand of the American Medical Association and everybody else with two drugs, an ACE inhibitor and a statin drug. Cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and kidney disease have to be on those two drugs. The, the main symptom caused by an ACE inhibitor that usually requires us to withdraw the drug is cough because it sensitized the lung through upregulating all the receptors that happen to bind coronavirus, common cold, coronavirus. Coronaviruses are all over the place all the time. They're not the only virus that binds to the ACE2 receptor. And so we create cough all the time. And you ask any physician out there in, in, in the primary care or cardiovascular world and, and ask them what's the most common side effect of ACE inhibitors, and it's cough. And so ACE inhibitors, and if you have to take them off an ACE inhibitor, then you put them on an ARB, an angiotensin receptor blocker. And that drug upregulates ACE2 receptors too. So whether you're on an ARB or an ACE inhibitor and the combination with a statin, You've just upregulated all of these, these things. It turns out that COPD without the pharmaceutical drugs also upregulates ACE2. And so now we know that pharmaceuticals are more potent at upregulating that receptor for the population than as even emphysema, which we thought you know, previously was the highest rates of ACE2 expression. But that's fourth on the list. So cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, pharmaceuticalize it. And then suddenly there's a whole bunch of binding sites for the virus to come in. And it's not still the virus that's doing the damage. It's on the back of the virus is tagged a little particle of air pollution that's carrying cyanide. And so, and not just cyanide, 64 other terrible toxins, you know, that could be causing the hypoxia. So I, I don't know if I'm right about cyanide, but it's definitely one of those toxins carried on that air pollution wow. that seems to be the thing that's tracking into people's bodies and causing death. What I'm hearing the from reason you, that's, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What I'm hearing from you is that within the air, because of the micron size that this virus gets inhaled from, we're also seeing it attached to other things that are toxic in the air, which then upregulates, as you said, the ways that it can be more deleterious to our health. Is that true? We see a lot of people dying of cancer right now. We see a lot of people dying from heart disease right now. We see a lot of people dying from autoimmune conditions. Our mortality went up this year significantly. Yeah because of the toxicity of the planet. We've never dumped more chemicals than we have in the last year. And you know, I don't think it's surprising necessarily that the US is seeing the, some of the highest mortality 
around the world right now because what happened in uh, China and South Korea, as soon as this thing happened and we thought it was a virus killing us, we went and sprayed insecticide and, and you know, toxic chemicals into the air all over Korea and China to try to sterilize the environment, right. which then it goes airborne and ends up in Seattle and New York a couple months later, not even months, weeks later, that's in the air of, of Seattle and New York. And so that band of, of air that travels across the globe all the time is carrying the toxicity of our fear, our chemical fear, our chemical response to a toxin that was developed from our chemical behavior of transportation and energy sectors. And so, you know, in our constant belief that we are at war with nature and we are at war with all the germs, we are killing ourselves ever faster. And it's ludicrous. And it is sad because we've got 20, 30 years of data in the microbiome to know that it's the microbiome that prevents cancer. It's the microbiome that pre prevents autoimmune disease, acne, you know, depression, anxiety disorders, sleep disorders, infertility. It's all the microbiome. And yet, somehow, from this ridiculous fear story that got suddenly the whole world, including scientists, are like okay with killing every organism on Earth. You know, it's just a very, very sad, low vibration event. <laughs> to me, and to thank me. you for this deep, deep explanation. There's so many things you've mentioned that I've never heard, and I know so many people have not heard them either. So thank you for this education, really this, this expansion of consciousness that you have been such a leader for. You know, one thing that I've been seeing in your work and, and with Farmer's Footprint and with Ion and even before, you know, years ago, you were one of the first people on scene that really described the microbiome and the fact that if we just get out of the way of nature, if we stop trying to meddle with nature and just be in harmony with her, you know, these laws of nature, they're actually here to serve us. They're here to help us. Yeah. So when we're putting a mask on and when we're spraying and Lysoling and all these things from both a spiritual consciousness and also a medical perspective, what's really happening there when we put a mask on? We're killing ourselves. I mean, really, it's it's that blatant. And I don't mean to startle people. Uh, everything we're doing is killing ourselves. <laughs> Every time we put a boundary between nature and ourselves, we kill ourselves. And, and so the the proof of that is even beyond biology. I, I don't you know. You really geek out when you get into the physics world. So I don't want to get too too esoteric here, but. The second law of thermodynamics and physics is one of the most tried and true truths in science. And it's profound. I mean, really, there should not, everybody, nobody should ever be elected to any political position in the world without understanding the second law of thermodynamics. It's very simple. It says that any system put into isolation will increase its entropy. Entropy is a word for chaos. Sure. Any system put into isolation increases chaos within that system. That works for a solar system. It works for a planet. It works for, you know, a, a quasar. Couple stuck at home. Is it the same type? Relationships. Of it works yeah. for your own psyche. The you know the most potent penalty that we give in the penal system is sensory deprivation through solitary confinement. Yeah, it's the worst thing we can do to a human is isolate them. They their entropy increases. They suddenly start having visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, paranoia. They start pulling out their own hair. They'll scratch their faces off. It is a horrific amount of chaos that happens when you isolate. And that's why depression is so freaking dangerous is your first reaction to depression is socially isolate. Your entropy is going to go up. 
And so the same terrifying thing what happens with chronic disease. You get diagnosed with cancer, you don't want to talk to anybody because you're tired of everybody being like, oh, I'm so sorry. How are you? Right. That kind of BS kind of reaction is not what you want around you when you're a cancer patient. So you isolate and entropy goes up and then you die of cancer a few years later. We need to realize that the second law of thermodynamics could redesign sociopolitical systems, socioeconomic systems, business structure, uh, spiritual and religious practices. Everything needs to be redesigned when you start to come to terms with any isolation of any system is going to increase entropy and chaos. The exact opposite is true. The more connectivity any system has, the less stress it's going to have, the less chaos is going to be in that system. And so what we should have done when we heard about this virus is we should have sent everybody out into family reunions in every national park around the world. <laughs> we would have immediately, all death would have stopped because we weren't dying of a virus. We were dying of a virus attached to PM 2.5 air pollution carrying cyanide. If we had just gone and parked ourselves in campsites all over the world and stopped driving around, the whole thing would have passed over like a gentle hand of genetic updating so that we could get the, the necessary information. Corona and the other you know, 10 to the 31 viruses in our air, 10, another 10 to the 31 viruses in our soil, another 10 to the 31 viruses in our ocean water. You know, 10 to the 31 is 10 million times more than stars in the entire universe. Okay, like this is 10 to the 31 is a grotesquely huge number. That's how many viruses we breathe any given year on the surface of this planet. Viruses are not against us. If they were, we would be dead so long ago. It's ludicrous. We never would have developed as a species a mere 200,000 years ago because the viruses started 4 billion years ago. Yeah. Like we've got this whole paradigm ass backwards, upside down, flipped over and used to, to create economic shift. Uh -huh. And so we are seeing the biggest consolidation of wealth in human history into just a few hands. And, and it's, it's over nothing. There's it, so much, are there. people, dying? there's so much there to unpack. Um, I think about what I read in, in the price Pottinger work and also Weston a price, uh, nutrition and yep. physical degeneration. He said, if you looked at the healthiest people in the world, it was farmers and the sons and daughters of farmers because they get their hands dirty. They're actually in relation with the humus, with the soil. They're in that bacteria all day long. Is it true that there isn't really any such thing as bad bacteria? I mean, isn't the world all a homeostatic system that supports life in all ways? Like, is there really such a thing as this killer virus, this COVID? Does it even no. exist? It certainly exists for a good purpose. It's really important. Um, you know, as soon as I heard about coronavirus, I was like, I was ready to get it. Like, it, that's an important update because it's coming out of the most damaged ecosystem on the planet. Wuhan is the most toxic ecosystem on the planet. We spray more glyphosate into to the area around Wuhan and Hubei province there than anywhere else in the world right now. And so you have the highest level of genomic stress on the planet from the microbiome combined with the biggest pork operation in the world. We, we raise more chemical farmed swine in that country than any other country in the world. The swine stool is so toxic in, in U.S. and Chinese you know, production systems that it's illegal to transport the stool because it's considered biohazard waste because of the amount of an, you know, antimicrobial chaos going in from all the antibiotics we feed these animals. And so this, this toxic stew of the microbiome there is sending out an, a genomic update, which I find fascinating. We now have some new piece of genome. There's a new strand of RNA 
within the new coronavirus that's a little different than SARS. SARS presented, by the way, just like this coronavirus, blue patients, multi-organ failure, then a few days later, lungs fill with water, and then you get pneumonia and death if you don't do anything about it. It's a hypoxic injury for SARS 18 years ago and today. And you say, we didn't learn you that. Hypoxic. Can you share with the audience what that means, a hypoxic injury? If you want to look up the, this to get a real deep dive, it's called histotoxic hypoxemia or, or histotoxic hypoxia. And histotoxic is spelled H-Y-S-T-O. Uh, no, H-I. I'm having a complete brain fog here moment. Histotoxic, H-I-S-T-O, uh, toxic hypoxia um, is a chemical change in the shape of hemoglobin, which is the protein within a red blood cell that carries oxygen. It's a very unique molecule. It's a huge protein, complicated, almost looks like an, a, a complicated Irish knot, the way this protein ties itself into these four pockets for four oxygen molecules to bind into every red blood cell. It's eloquent, beautiful uh, piece of, of design. And uh, what happens when cyanide and other toxins get into the re red blood cells, it changes the shape of the hemoglobin such that they can no longer bind oxygen. So now it doesn't matter if you breathe 100% oxygen on a respirator at 30 breaths a minute at 10 pounds of pressure, you can't push enough oxygen into the human body to do anything because the raft ran out, you know, lost its air. The raft that needs to carry that from the lung to a peripheral tissue, you know, 70 billion other cells need that oxygen. They can't get it because the, the life raft of the oxygen carrier of hemoglobin got damaged. So, so cyanide poisoning is a, a cyanide, in this case, I think from air pollution binding again to the virus. Virus carries cyanide into the bloodstream bloodstream goes into a, a loss of oxygen carrying capacity and the patient turns blue. When a tissue like the lung, liver, kidneys are starved of oxygen, they have a massive cellular damage event. And so that's why two to three days later, those lungs are going to fill with fluid. It'll start within a few hours, but it really gets bad over the next couple of days. It's because there's so much tissue injury, not from any virus, but because there was no oxygen. Our patients are dying from a lack of oxygen carrying capacity, not a lack of respiratory capacity or a lack of oxygen in the atmosphere or a lack of oxygen in the respirator machine. They're dying because we're not treating the hemoglobin. In a bizarre way, our president, in his bizarrely fumbling way, actually had one of the, the only tools out there identified early on, which is hydroxychloroquine. And he got laughed off the stage by medicine and scientists and all these people and said that he had special interests and in stock in the company and blah, blah. I'd be surprised if Donald Trump doesn't have stock in every single freaking company in the world. Sure. So that's why he said that. But I think he said it because he was getting messages from around the world that if you treated very early with hydroxychloroquine, you were seeing improved function. It turns out that hydroxychloroquine, yes, it is an anti-malarial and does that. But the main thing that it does is shapes, change the shape of the red blood cell. Malaria is a, a parasite that attacks the red blood cell. And so it turns out that he's probably stone cold right that hydroxychloroquine is one of the few medications that somebody could reach for to, to help improve oxygen carrying capacity of the blood when they see a cyanide poisoning. Now, it turns out that it's a much more effective approach called a cyanide poisoning kit that takes just three quick injections and then you change the shape of the hemoglobin into methemoglobin and it does fine. And so we can treat you know cyanide poisoning in a matter of minutes, not weeks on a respirator where they're dying from pneumonia. And so, you know, I've been getting this out to the medical community through different paths in the last couple of weeks, begging our, our physicians on the front lines to start using the simple cyanide kit that every single hospital has. And, and you'll see if it works, if I'm even remotely right, yeah. you'll see that change right in front of your eyes. Like in five minutes, you'll know that you just saved that person's life. 
And so it's because they're not dying of a virus. They're dying of a, a toxicity to the red blood cell and can't carry that, that oxygen around. And I think on top of that, I, I also want to repeat what you said in the beginning and, and always that I have deep compassion for the people that are losing family members. And this is in no way something um, that I'm about to say that is disrespectful. It's actually honoring these lives that have been lost. There is, like you said, that moment before there's a birthing of new, there's all these things that that pass. There's these things that die. And I look at the way that the medical system, the insurance, and also the pharmaceutical, you know, this axis, this triangle has been operating for so long. And I think about what you actually shared in, in multiple interviews about operating on someone that had a massive growth from diabetes and, and you were going in there and you started to see how the... The cellular makeup was the exact same way that a city looked when you flew over it and how nature shows up in so many different sections of life. And you had a moment right there that changed your life that actually spiraled you into a depression, but then gave you this brand new way to uh, share your love and share your medicine with the world. Can you tell people that story? Hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, so that day happened uh, around 2009, uh, end of 2009. I was been um, I was studying chemotherapy development um, around vitamin A compounds that can induce cell suicide and cancer. So I was looking, on, you know, almost on a daily basis in my lab at cancer cells growing um, in normal tissues or uh, whatnot in, in pathologic specimens of, of cancer, and. Um, you see that in a cancer. So a cancer grows just like Los Angeles does, you know, from the air. Um, your cancer has an epicenter and then it, it quickly outstrips its own capacity for producing energy. So it needs to send out long tentacles of vascular, neural supply, lymphatics, all of this to bring more resources to this extremely damaged and unsustainable tumor that is so damaged it can't produce its own energy anymore. Los Angeles is a hugely damaged system, can't produce its own energy, not enough food supply for way too many cells in the same confined space that have been consolidated through unnatural processes. And so it needs to send out these huge tentacles of highways, train systems, flight patterns all over the world to bring nutrients and resources back to this tumor. And so I had recognized that pattern in, you know, cancer in cities, you know, around that time of research. And it was a poignant, I think, colorful thing. But what happened that day is I was working in the lab, suddenly realized we're running late for clinic, you know, jumped up from the microscope, you know, hadn't really closed my mind on the microscope experience, rushed over to my clinic, sat down in front of a patient who had, you know, this big diabetic ulcer and started debriding that ulcer, as you described, and got to this point where suddenly I saw this this necrotic tissue spreading out through healthy tissue, and it looked exactly like the tumor I had just been looking at minutes before. And that was this moment of singularity where I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, it's a piece of tissue that didn't have enough resources. It, it, it died of lack of resources. So the necrotic ulcer is only the next step beyond cancer. And the reason we call it an ulcer is just because we didn't think bigger about those simple issues of supply and demand. We th- call it a cancer because we didn't think of the, the, the simple you know, supply and demand issues that was started having imbalance 20 years ago, and now the patient has cancer. And so it was just this moment of singularity where all disease is one thing. It's an, it's an irresponsible or an unsustainable distribution of demand and supply. And when we can't meet supply, systems start to break down. You get rioting at the tissue level sequestration of, of, you know, uh, lack of resources, 
all of this, you know, kind of things. And ultimately that little tumor that's only, a, you know, represents maybe 1% of a human body will kill the whole body sucking nutrients out. If you've ever seen somebody die of end stage cancer, they'll, they'll soak up every last fat cell in their body uh, to go try to fuel that small tumor in their body. And it might be a big tumor, but even if it's a, you know, five centimeter tumor, that's still a tiny piece in a big human body. And so it's the realization that when we see, you know, metabolic demand, supersede the tissue's own capacity for resilience and and provision it will start to act like a cancer in the body and i think humanity became that for the planet many years ago yeah and this is what was a reckoning for you where you no longer went down the path of creating the next best drug you 180 your treatment about the human form and you said i'm actually going to heal the human by healing the earth because it's all connected and i don't care if you're logical or spiritual we all know that when we hear something like that the truth sticks to our soul the truth sticks to our heart like if we can't let the earth breathe how are we supposed to breathe properly the microbiome which you're a world-renowned specialist on your company ion biome which we're going to talk about all the ways that we treat the soil the lungs of our planet it's the same way that we're treating ourselves and our brothers and sisters and i have to tell you like i was really angry today like I was in touch with my sacred anger because our brothers and sisters are giving away their power, wearing their masks, sitting down, not speaking their truth. This type of information, this conversation needs to be shared across the planet and more because we get to pay attention to how the earth is breathing. So share with us, how is the earth actually breathing right now? Like what is the current state of affairs with how our mother is breathing? Uh, she's suffocating right now. Um, so um, Mother Earth uh, breathes through her soils and oceans, and uh, the ocean can bring in about 90 gigatons of carbon a year, and the ocean produces 90 gigatons of carbon a year. So it's a very balanced ecosystem that's developed over you know, 4 billion years of a water-based planet. Um, and uh, through her grace, the Mother Ocean can also absorb another 2 gigatons of carbon if there's excess in the atmosphere. That may be to our own demise because if you kill enough of the soil and you can't absorb the carbon that the soil is supposed to breathe, which is huge, like 2,400 gigatons compared to the 90 gigatons of, of the ocean. So with soils breathing in 2,400 gigatons through our uh, irritable soils. So any, anything that we think of farmable soils, that's where the humus is at. Um, we also have humus in the, in the high Siberian environment in northern Russia, China, up through Canada and Alaska and all that. That's the only semblance of breathing soils we have left on the planet. We have uh, thoroughly killed it. There's a little spot in the middle of the Amazon that's still you know, struggling to hang on right now as we continue to burn that, that jungle down. Um, but uh, we have just this, this rim of breath at the top of the planet. In, in the tundra space because we were unable to farm there. But 97% of the land that's farmable has been depleted of its capacity to breathe in carbon. So we see huge carbon uh, uh, deficits in the soil, which means that the plant life there is slow to, to grow. It, it needs all of these chemical inputs and everything else to, to fake it out. Uh, because the soil is is really dead and has turned into dirt rather than soil. Soil is an extraordinary living entity. Uh, dirt is is a pile of dust that doesn't have much life left in it. And we're in the largest dust bowl in history in the United States and other Western countries, uh, Australia included. We're losing something like two tops, two tons of topsoil per acre. We have 125 million active uh, acres of farmland in the United States. You add that up. The cost of, of a ton of soil 
and you multiply that out across 125 million acres losing their topsoil at that rate, you realize we're losing 11% of our gross domestic product in soil every year now. And so 11% of $17 trillion, over a trillion dollars of natural resources being washed down the, the Mississippi River and other tributaries within the, our country because we so destroyed the soil architecture. Back through the Soil Health Academy experts, uh, PhD in soil science there, Alan Williams, who's in our film and all that, quickly taught us that, you know, yes, chemicals can completely annihilate. They function as potent antibiotics in the soil systems. You can kill 50% of, of uh, a deep living earthworms with one application. You can kill 100% of the top living uh, earthworms with one application of Roundup. So, yes, you totally devastate that, that environment around. Uh, but then it's, you know, the next steps there after is plowing. And so when you overplow a field, you, you, you murder the mycelial, you know, bed beneath it and you lose nutrient trafficking. And so uh, farmers who start to get desperate to control weeds will just start over disking. If you're an organic farmer and you cannot spray Roundup and other, you know, potent herbicides and pesticides, organic farmers, unfortunately, still have quite, quite a cadre of toxins they can spray but they tend to overplow again. Somebody who's overplowing their, their field will have worse soil architecture who's somebody who's not plowing, but is just using Roundup. So that was devastating. It meant we needed to change not just 50 years of, of toxin spraying, we needed to change 1,100 years of farm practice because we started using the plow in 900 AD. And if you read a Western Civ textbook, it literally says in the first paragraph, Western civilization began with the invention of the plow. Holy crap. Western civilization started the moment we increased our capacity to kill Mother Earth. And I think we have done it steadily over the next 1,100 years with every other invention we've come up with to more further distance ourselves and, and more severely destroy the ecosystem we live within. And so Farmer's Footprint was born. We realized we didn't need just an educational film. We needed a nonprofit to get large enough to actually change the economics and the infrastructure around farmers so they could make that transition. Because yeah. you can't tell a farmer in the middle of Minnesota you need to grow organic. Well, they have no place to sell that. There's no silo within a thousand miles of them that's going to be able to both take in their, their regenerative organic thing and get that out to the marketplace at the higher value point. So you're asking them to do a, a very labor-intensive effort to change behavior with no reward on the other side. So once we saw that, we're like, oh, my gosh, we need to start to build public awareness, build big financial you know, investment fund like strategies, government awareness, government programs. All of the strategies need to be taken to hand to literally change the one point seven trillion dollar you know, U.S. agriculture, the three trillion dollar global you know, economy around food needs to be changed almost overnight. If we don't change in the next eight years that collapse of 97% of our soils that were breathing previously are going to choke our oceans. And so when you lose 2,400 gigatons of breath work of, of the topsoil, you get CO2 accumulating in the atmosphere, methane, other greenhouse gases, importantly, PM 2.5 too. And so every pandemic we're, we ever see that can tag it, if on the backside of Corona or any other virus is going to get worse every time because the concentration of carbon particulate in the air is going to keep going up if we don't change our soil behavior. But it's more scary than that for me, which uh, I'm trying not – fear is the wrong thing. More alarming to me, more of a call to action yes. to me yes. is the realization that 
PM 2.5 is the least of our issues when you realize that the oceans, as they continue to take in more and more carbon dioxide and methane and everything else every year because there's a need for it, and they will continue to give that grace and suck it in, they start to acidify. Of the five great extinctions that have happened in the past in a fossil record, they, they wipe out somewhere between 85% and 97% of life on Earth. 85% rate extinction events happen around death of the topsoil. And that's usually due to massive volcanic activity or asteroids hitting the planet. The last one 55 million years ago looks to have been an asteroid that covered the planet in dust, choked out the topsoil. We lost 87%. But the, the, the time sequence for the death of soil was short enough that we didn't acidify the oceans and lose ocean life. The ones that have wiped out 97% were sustained death of the topsoil such that the oceans fully acidified. And then we lost 97% of life on Earth. There's a hidden blessing there that I think is really fascinating. Every time you have an extinction event on planet Earth, life comes back more abundantly and more diversity next time mm. and faster. We are in the sixth extinction right now. We're 50% done. We've wiped out 50% of biology on the planet and we're accelerating. We're now seeing the loss of a species every 20 minutes. We've 10,000 fold increased our extinction rate just in the last like decade and a half. And so with this massive explosion of extinction, 50% done, we have a choice. We continue on our path, we destroy our soils, we, we choke out the planet, the oceans acidify, we lose 97% of life on Earth. In the next few hundred million years, we will see life on this planet that has never existed before, more beautiful, yeah. more vibrant, yeah. more multidimensional than we can even imagine. But there's a huge part of me, friends, that just want to just be part of that. I want to see what that looks like. And it could be just 10 years away or 100 years away instead of 100 million years away if we stop our behavior, let Mother Earth breathe again, and let's co-create in the void that we've created, in the collapse of biology that we've created in this extinction event. We could see life come back so abundantly that we have literally never known human capacity for longevity, health consciousness, spiritual blessing, we haven't even touched our potential and we could participate that. We could literally see that even in our, you know, lifetimes, we could see that happen. It's more than a silver and so lining. The, it's way more than a silver lining. It's actually a rebirth of something that we couldn't even comprehend that could be real. And, and I think a lot of people, when they look at this, Dr. Bush, like they really are in fear because what you're saying not only is true, but the research, the data backs it up. So I think a lot of people, when they think of COVID or they think of the world, there's just so much agony and so much pain and really so much constriction. You know, duality is always present, obviously. But what is your take on this? Like, where do we actually go from here so that we can have Mother Earth breathe? And by the way, you said breathwork. I love that. We focus so much on breathing for Wellness Force. Um, we have the Breathe program and we really get people down into their belly because when you're breathing from your belly, which that's where all of your emotions and serotonin and everything is anyways, uh, you start to have a better connection with your body, which then gives you a better connection to Mother Earth, which then gives you a better connection to your brothers and sisters. But how do you see this um, from a, a treatment perspective, I guess you would say, um, healing ourselves, healing our soil? Yeah. Yeah, it, in so many ways, it's exactly what you said earlier, which is we just need to stop meddling. You know, if we stop screwing with soil, it will grow abundance for us. If we want real abundant, you know, food production system, then we should stop chemicalizing the process. 
Um, to give you a sense of just how far we've gone and before we give the solution, I want, I want people to understand that there's a misperception that the United States is feeding the world. Yeah. Uh, the United States keeps saying we need all this chemical agriculture so we can have 30,000 acre farms that we can feed the world because there's people starving. It turns out that not only the United States, but all of the Western world that has adopted mega farming only feeds 30% of humanity. 70% of the 7 billion souls on earth are fed by a peasant farmer who has less than two acres. 70% of 7 billion people are being fed by a peasant farmer who has less than two acres and is practicing largely with farm implements that have existed for a couple thousand years at least. And so we do not need chemical farming to feed the world. We need to stop abusing economic systems, creating artificial economic systems that are putting all of those little peasant farmers out of business. We need to support them. We need to celebrate them. They have the answer. They're already doing the answer, but they're competing against artificial economies of food supply that we have created through artificial subsidies at the government level, tax things, all kinds of BS. Yeah. And so we are putting them out of the business. In the United States, we lose 6,000 to 8,000 family farms a year just in the U.S. And then you look at Asia and you look at South Asia and you look at you know the, the South American situation with NAFTA. We are putting farmers out of business at an extreme rate. Early estimates after we signed NAFTA with Clinton and what was that? That was around 1997 that NAFTA got signed. It was 96. In those following like four seasons, uh, an article got published at one point that 50,000 farmers had committed suicide in South America due to bankruptcy and loss of farm and loss of dignity. Yeah. Uh, because some of them NAFTA, were actually drinking Roundup, I read. They did. To commit. Yeah, yeah. They, they committed suicide through consuming their own herbicides and pesticides. So, um, yeah, a dark chapter of abuse through opening up an artificial economy of chemical farming onto the world stage. And so we, not only have we killed soils, we've we've killed livelihoods, we've killed you know farmers, we've killed families, we've we've killed children uh, through this, uh, you know, maleficent act. So where do we go? How do we heal it? It's so simple. We need to become peasant farmers again in our mentality, which is we need to produce first enough and first enough food for ourselves. Kansas, our most agricultural state, grows 90 percent of its land under agricultural use. Ninety percent of Kansas is agricultural. Kansas has to import 90 percent of its food. One in four children in Kansas right now is starving, is, is lacking calories, going to sleep hungry. This show wouldn't be able to live and be brought to you for free without our partner, Cured Nutrition, a 100% organically farmed cannabidiol. Say that like three times fast, cannabidiol. <laughs> it's more than just CBD though. CBD can be quite confusing. So I simplified it. I did the research over six months. I found Cured Nutrition. This is all the parts of the plant, the hemp plant that give you rich terpenes and healing compounds that allow you to sleep well and move well. And now multiple scientific research studies have shown promise around using cannabidiol for pain management as well. This is a full spectrum, 100% organically farmed hemp oil. It's grown in the rich sunshine rays of Colorado. I don't know if you've been to Colorado. It is easily the perfect place in the entire United States to harvest powerful nutrients and plant medicine. Essentially, that's what this medicine is. It's plant medicine for your body and soul. I personally take the full dropper of the 2000 milligram I place it under my tongue for 60 seconds. I feel this in my digestion. It gives my stomach this warm, calming feeling. Give Cured a test drive. 
If you've been dealing with pain or anxiety or you can't sleep well at night, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. Get 15% off your organically farmed full spectrum hemp. Wellnessforce.com forward slash cured. And use the code wellnessforce to get a nice savings. 15% is really good, y'all. Check them out. Give them a test drive. If Kansas can't feed itself, then what belief system do we have that it's going to go feed the rest of the world? Kansas can't feed itself because the 90% of that crop, the, that acreage that's being used for agricultural land is using is growing GMO corn, soy, soybean, and alfalfa. That's never going to end up on a plate. Instead, it's going to end up in chemical processing plants to make petroleum-like products out of the oils and everything else in, the, in that. And so we feed the, the, the apparel industry so that we can have yet one more pair of stretchy yoga pants because God knows you can never have too many of those. And, you know, like we start making all artificial you know, BS things out of the crops that are growing where we should be growing food. And so from agricultural, you know, or from apparel all the way to our fuel industry, you know, 10% of every gallon of fuel you pump in the Americas grown on, on corn, you know, that's genetically modified and killing the soils beneath it. We're killing our, our, our vibrant soils for food production are being killed so that we can fill our gas tanks with a little less petroleum. Like it's, it's just an absurd model. Um, and so the solutions are at hand. We have farmland and we have brilliant farmers who are ready to grow food. We need to create economy around those farmers so they can grow food again. This is another wonderful thing that's happened with COVID is our farmers who over the last five years have started to make the move towards supplying real food to real people again. And they've been metting out these little brands and trying to you know, create their little online stores and they're slowly growing and their CSAs are starting to get a foothold. In just the month of March this year, those groups, those farmers that had direct-to-market potential, they grew by 300 to 1,200% growth in four weeks. Amazing. They jumped forward eight to 10 years in their business plans in four weeks because the supply chains got disrupted and mankind suddenly realized we have a serious vulnerability in the United States. We don't even grow our own food. We have supply lines that go all the way around the world to try to suck food back to us. What the heck are we thinking? And so we see a massive increase in direct-to-farmer demand. If you haven't participated in that, please go online, find a farmer near you that's got CSA or something, some product you can buy from them directly. It's going to improve their bottom line, and they're going to immediately take that money. Farmers are the most frugal of people. They are never going to just go out and spend that willy-nilly. They're not going to go get another pair of yoga pants. Those farmers are going to go reinvest in more land and grow more food. They love growing food. That's what I love about farmers is they literally can't get enough of it. They love watching Mother Earth produce and then getting that into the hands of consumers. But for a long time, two generations, they haven't even gotten to see the happy, healthy consumer on the other side of that. And so it is a very exciting time to, for these farmers who are doing the right thing to get met where they need to. All of us need to make sure we are participating in a new economy when this, you know, pandemic fear finally resolves itself and we're told to go back to normal, please do not go back to normal. Yes. Please don't keep buying all your fruit, food from Chile and Peru and 4,000 mile supply chains. Buy your food locally this summer. Grow your food in your backyard. I was so excited at the beginning of this pandemic at the same time everybody's jumping on their CSAs. Everybody ran out and bought every last packet of seeds in, the, in every hardware right. store in America. Yes. So exciting. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, and we have people growing farms and or gardens that have never grown a single thing. And they've got like 42 plants in their backyard. 
and half of them are going to die, and that's normal too. You don't feel like a bad farmer if you're out there doing that first time. It's not all working. That's fantastic. You're learning. We need to learn for the next uh, pandemic not to happen. We need to learn so that the next death of the planet doesn't have to happen. Let's do life and life abundantly together. It's so exciting. The solutions are simple, but I think for so many people, logically, they might think that they're not easy. So simple, simplistically, get a garden box. You talk about how to do this in your film and with Farmer's Footprint, but also to go back to the breathing and also to contrast the solution that you're speaking about. If we ourselves just use this as a time to slow down and do our breath work, then we are going to make better choices about the soil and about how Mother Earth breathes. But one thing that really hinders people from doing this is their level of consciousness and their level of awareness and really their level of health. Because you and I both know, and and I'd love for you to expand this a little bit, the gut-brain axis and the way that it affects neurological disorders and our moods um, and the way that the microbiome actually can literally dictate our decisions, our behaviors, our arguments, or our love, um, that is part of the solution as well. So this product that you have where it's actually made from natural uh, pieces of the soil, the ion biome. Tell us about that and how that plays into the solution because it's powerful and it's simple. Yeah, it's so it's so eloquent. Again, nature, every time we dive into a microscope to explore nature rather than disease, it's, it's just spectacular. Um, so this happened in 2012 in my clinics. We were seeing a lot of our patients that were going on plant-based diet, um, getting worse inflammation, not less, on things like kale, Brussels sprouts. Some of the most powerful healers and alkaloid medicines that I could bring to my patients were making them worse, not better. And so that, you know, that was only a third of our patients. A third of our patients, given that medicinal food, like diabetes goes away, miraculous healings happening, all that. That was what the textbooks told me was going to happen. Then a third of our patients, not much change at all. They say, eh, maybe I'm a little bit better. Maybe they'll lose a few pounds, but nothing then a third getting worse. And so there was something just not working across the board uh, that should have worked. And, and in you know 40-year-old nutrition science has worked in previous decades. So we were looking for this, the, the answer to that. Um, William, my colleague, uh, died, brought in a 90-page white paper on soil science. Flipping through that, um, he, there's a 40, there's this huge molecule in the middle of it that looks just like the chemotherapy I used to make uh, in regard to its three-dimensional structure on the right side. The right side of that molecule looked to have the potential to be a redox signal signaling device. And so redox signaling is the way in which biology does wireless communication. So just like your cell phone, as you pick it up, uh, it has a tiny little transmitter that can send out a tiny little signal and it needs to be picked up by a cell phone tower that can repeat that over another seven mile radius to another cell phone and over matters of split milliseconds that that can be transmitted around the globe. And so I can, you know, call back to my grandma or wherever I need to and and connect anywhere in the world. Cell is very distant. The amount of space in the body is vast. Once you get down to the cellular level, like, you know, the left hand compared to the right hand is a different galaxy. Like it, it's so far away from at the at that molecular level that is just ludicrous. And yet they can communicate that far away. The liver can talk directly to the brain that, you know, all of these things this is called redox. and they can milliseconds. This is called redox and it, redox stands for the words reduction and oxidation, which is just a, a description of the passage of electrons. And so redox is, is redox chemistry and redox science is, is just the understanding of the flow of electron information through dis, through over distances. And so uh, the wireless communication network that I was studying in cancer was made by mitochondria, which are little bacteria guys that live inside our cells. 
for some reason, it never dawned on me that the bacteria and fungi within our gut and air systems and everything else would produce a wireless communication network. But I, I didn't think of it at the time. And so with studying redox chemistry and mitochondria and how to turn on apoptosis or programmed cell suicide in cancer cells uh, by giving it enough information. If a mitochondria has enough information, it'll kill the cell quickly. Uh, if a mitochondria can't mount the information stream, then it, cell suicide doesn't happen and a tumor will develop. And so uh, a damaged cell that's trying to kill itself will fail if it doesn't have enough redox chemistry in it. So I was working with vitamin A to kind of give these massive surges of redox signaling out of the mitochondria and kill tumors. Uh, well, actually, it's better said that it doesn't kill the tumor at all. The, the, the tumor just dissolves itself. It's, it's a very gentle, non-inflammatory cell process where it just dissipates and gives energy back to the space. Stem cell comes in, replaces it with healthy tissue. That's what breaks down as we go towards cancer. And so in 2013, as we're starting to untangle this molecule, you know, I thought I stumbled upon something that could treat cancer. And as soon as we put it into Petri dishes, all kinds of weird things were happening. Like cells were doing things in Petri dishes that we didn't even think were possible. You'd never seen anything heal in a Petri dish. Petri dish stuff only dies and you can change the rate of its death. That's how we do science. Did you change the rate of death? That's how we do it at the Petri dish level. That's how we do it in a cancer study with patients. All right, everybody's dying. Did you change the rate of death? What was the Nobody's made in that all. Petri dish? They start building things. Like we've never seen three-dimensional structures being built in, in Petri dishes before. Best case scenario, you'll get a two-dimensional layer of cells. Three-dimensional structures in a Petri dish was ludicrous. Like that, that's never happened before. And so suddenly it was the realization of, of course, the bacteria and fungi would need a redox signaling system. And of course, it would have to look different than what the mitochondria create. The mitochondria create oxygen-carrying redox signals. So they do ozone, which is O3. They do O2H, which is like the opposite of the water molecule. Uh, they do uh, H2O2, which is hydrogen peroxide. There's like 15 of these little oxygen-based molecules that are produced by the mitochondria to create redox signaling and wireless communication inside the cell. Those molecules, though, only last for a millionth of a second in the very protected and special space of the inside of a cell. So they're very ethereal. If you're outside of the cell, I'd never even dawned on me that you could have redox outside of the cell because you can't traffic electrons any distance with, a, with an oxygen carrying capacity because the oxygen carrier will be gone in a millionth of a second. So you can't cover distances. So inside the cell, which is you know less than a, a couple of microns in distance, that's no problem for mitochondrial oxygen-based redox. This huge carbon molecule that we found in soil that then might have redox potential gave me this massive hope suddenly of like, oh my gosh, what if we could do communication network outside the cells? And of course, that's what nature's been doing since her beginning. So we didn't discover anything. That's how we trees just talk to one another as well. If you look at the mycelium in the German forest, it's, it's how all plants speak to one another, correct? Is this the same redox mechanism? Same. Same one. Wow. So the fascinating thing for me is, is when we look at our microbiomes, if I were with you in person and if, and if we were six feet close to each other, would my microbiome be talking to your microbiome? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We do this through a couple of different mechanisms. Beautiful. Uh, one of the main mechanisms that just got discovered in the last few years, John Gilday in our lab is a brilliant uh, PhD out of Johns Hopkins, geneticist. And he's one of the five you know, experts in the world at, at isolating exosomes, which are these little pockets of genetic information that we, we put out in the atmosphere all the time. Um, uh, he was the he published the very first paper showing that human 
exosomes of genetic information from our genome could could change genetic behavior just like a virus of other cells. And so he, very brilliant guy, amazing scientist. His capacity under in a laboratory is really unsurpassed in the in the crazy new techniques he develops, everything else, not to mention his sheer intellect. Uh, but John um, was is one of those experts in understanding microRNA, which is a whole new field of study in the last few years. Uh, we thought that you know anywhere from 97.5 to 94 percent, depending on which paper you read, of our DNA is junk DNA. It doesn't code for a gene or any other transcription factors, and so we just call it junk DNA. Well, it turns out that of course nature doesn't do 94 percent of junk anywhere, and that DNA makes a very eloquent language system of microRNA. The microRNA then are exuded from our cells instead of DNA and RNA that we do genetically to keep a human cell doing its thing. That's all self-contained typically. Um, but the microRNA are constantly leaving the cell to go into the bloodstream, from the bloodstream into our breath, into our stool, into our urine. And so the, it turns out that you know 15 to 30 percent of the microRNA in your bloodstream right now is from bacteria in your environment. Another 15% is from fungi in your environment. And another 5 or 10% is from the food you just ate. And so the genetic information in the corn or the pig that you just consumed wow. is actually updating your genome, their microRNA. And so we are exuding clouds of microRNA. We're exuding clouds of exosomes all the time. We're also communicating it eloquently through redox chemistry by, you know, in subtle ways as well, I believe. But uh, over distance, it's more genomic. Over short distances, you get into this, you know, especially once you're down at the cellular level, you get into this extracellular network of communication through the redox made by bacteria and fungi. Once you're down inside the cell, it's made by the mitochondria of bacteria inside your cells. So you got this huge, beautiful matrix of generative information and, and transformation of information, transition of information, transport of information happening across cell systems. And none of it's made by the human cell. It's made by the soils of Mother Earth. It's made by her bacteria and fungi, the soils of your gut, the soils that are in your skin. We now know that every organ system is full of microbiome. Your brain has microbiome in it. This is freaking out scientists all over the place. Like we have, we're supposed to have candida glabrata in our brain. Like who would have thought that? Like we have microbiome all through our body and it's working to nursemaid and communicate and bring resources, produce resources. In Alzheimer's brain, when you when you section and autopsy that brain and stain it for Candida clubrata, Candida has sprouted this beautiful network of pseudohyphae and, and hyphae around the, the the damaged neuron to bring nutrients apparently into that neural capacity. So, you know, a damaged brain is being fed by by a yeast in a in a kind of mycelial form. Mind blowing. I love, and I so, love this science you know, so we, much. And I'm sorry to interrupt you because so many people are watching this for probably the third time <laughs> because the way that your brain works, <laughs> I just love the way that your synapses fire, man. Just to create clarity for people that are maybe just tuning in or, or that are listening for the second time, this is a network, this redox network that actually uh, signals one another as human beings. Is this also what we learn from the entanglement of the astrals, you know? Um, being entangled where somebody is thinking about you and then all of a sudden you feel like texting them. The way that we feel each other across the world, the way that you and I are even connecting right now, we don't have to be next to each other to feel one another. Is that a mirror of the same nature redox system? That uh, That's actually a, a deeper one. So 
what we're talking about right now is biology. So we've got a biologic system of communication in redox, and I would include in there viruses, very important genomic communication network. Um, and so whether you call it an exosome or a virus, doesn't matter, same thing. So whether it's microRNA or macroRNA and DNA, uh, whether it's all, all that redox chemistry, you also have a hormonal network. And so we put out pheromones all the time that can go you know, many dozens of yards out from our body uh, to communicate at the hormonal level. So we have all these mechanisms. But what you just touched on goes deeper than biology. So all of the above are biologic methodologies for cellular communication and, and, and biologic communication across life forms. And of course, the microbiome is producing all of that right into us as well. Yeah. The brain is literally listening right to the microbiome, which freaks me out still of how cool that is. But uh, the neurons that come out into your gut literally st can stick out beyond the boundary of your gut lining to, to listen and talk directly to the microbiome, which is sweet, cool concept. Um, so microbiome, redox chemistry, all that's biologic. But it turns out we're not cellular beings. We're actually made of atoms, not cells. Every, every you know molecule made up of you know tons of atoms. Every every cell I think is is thought to have over a billion atoms or something ridiculous wow. in that, like that. And so and then you have seventy billion cells, and so you talk, multiply a billion by seventy billion, and you start to realize you're you're in these you know massive I don't even think numbers of zeros. That much that much numbers. <laughs> that's too we many can't. numbers for us to we even can't. imagine. I mean, the only number that's that's. It, that large is our national debt. We're at $70 trillion now or something like that. So, you know, it, these are just astronomical numbers that no human being can wrap their mind around. But, uh, you know, a billion times a billion gets, gets you up there into some massive numbers of, you know, complexity. And the, at, at the atomic level, you're only 0.001% solid, which is really bizarre and trippy. I don't care if it's you or your computer or the oak table in front of you. That's all a vacuum space. It's all 0.001% solid. It's 99.99% vacuum. But the vacuum, of course, is not empty. And so the vacuum is full of electromagnetic field. We measure the electromagnetic field in the vacuum by its wavelength, which is called Planck's constant. And it turns out that the wavelength of electromagnetic field in the vacuum has a weight to it. It actually has a mass. And so the mass of the electromagnetic field vibration in a cubic centimeter, this, this is the most mind-boggling math thing. So I don't expect anybody to really hear this and believe this because it's too hard to really wrap your head around. But if you take one cubic centimeter of vacuum space and measure the density of that cubic centimeter in regard just to the electromagnetic field vibration, you end up with a one with like 94 zeros after it. If you measure, if you take... If you were able to take all of the solid physical matter of the entire universe and compress it into that same cubic centimeter, I'm talking about every galaxy, every star, everything into a cubic centimeter, you are 13 zeros shorter in weight, in mass, than just that one cubic centimeter of vacuum space. The reason why stuff feels solid is because there's so much energy packed into a single centimeter of vacuum space that it can give the impression of solidity by its gravitational force. The space organizes a tiny bit of matter. So the fact that you're 0.001% is plenty because the vacuum space that organizes that tiny piece of matter is so dense that it can, it can be as strong as steel, no problem. It can give you the impression that steel is strong. 
when in fact it's not the steel that's strong, it's the vacuum space that holds the steel in its shape that's strong. And so that is just trippy bizarre. But what I just told you is that all things, all space and time, all vacuum is full of a dense structure of electromagnetic field, which is vibrating and fluxing all the time. The reason, Josh, that I can reach out and touch you right now is because there's nothing but density between me and you. And when those piercing blue eyes you have, I can feel because there really is no space between us. There's only this continuous vibration of electromagnetic field that will connect the two of us in a deep way. And I can give you right now, I I can just put a hand on your brother and say, I love you. I can see you. I'm so grateful for a conversation with you. And your body can absorb that information despite the 3,000 miles between us. It's, it's a continuum of energy through space and time. And this is why we manifest stuff around us. Is when As soon as you intention that you're going to call somebody, the likelihood of them calling you just went up because you just impacted their psyche with a message of yourself mm. uh, just by thinking of them. Well, I, and and so it's interesting. You, I actually felt... I had a, a somatic experience uh, here in, in my throat and heart chakra, and I could feel a resonance when, when you put your hand out. And gosh, there's there's so many people that understand this on a subtle level, right? Uh, maybe even a subconscious level that what you're speaking about is true. But when we look at science and even the narrative around COVID and just the narrative in general, where we've been so neck up for so long, what you're speaking about is connecting the head and the heart together. And that, my friend, is why I'm so honored to have this conversation and to spend this time with you, because that is actually what's going to save the world. We're not going to save the world neck up. We're going to save the world neck down, connecting those two hemispheres. So, I mean, you literally unpacked so much there for us. People are going to listen to this three times. We've already had people commenting in the chat. I'm going to listen to this again. I'm so glad it's recorded. Um, You know what I get from you, too? I get from you this, um, this presence of the childlike curiosity and wonder and joy about the fact that we're even here on planet earth experiencing breathing ourselves and and being here with the mother. And what is it about your heart or your soul? If you could, could maybe just reflect on this for a moment. Um, What is it about you that makes you so curious and stay so curious about life itself? You know, this, this wonderful thing that we get to be here for, regardless of how long it is. It's just addictive. It's just so fun. Like as soon as you touch a new a new energy source, you want more of that. At least I do. I don't know. I, I I'm routinely disappointed with how little I've how how far I have to come up in my head. Mm. Um, I can so easily get overwhelmed in a day or a week, so I don't have the energy to talk to my wife in the evening after a long day of podcasting, work, and teaching, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And and I'm disappointed with that. Like, what the hell? Like, where is my priority list? If I can't understand the the uh, eloquence of being able to come alongside Jen and just give her my love and just you know be witness to her and her journey, yeah. I'm disappointed with myself all the time. And so in that disappointment, though, is an opportunity of like, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I feel like, you know, I, I'm pretty, you know, empathetic and I, I've I'm pretty compassionate. Give us some hearts. But I'm scratching. Zach is a good guy. <laughs> I'm scratching the surface. Yeah. I'm scratching the surface, man. I could like, what am I going to be when I actually figure out the real essence of beauty? Like, what's going to happen when I see when I every time I turn around, I I want to just kneel down in awe and and 
you know, reverence to the mother of a tree that's sitting in the backyard and this mother nature is just gifting me with shade and the, the rustle of her leaves and the, the, the exchange of light between sun and earth and, you know, all of the gifts of that tree. Like I walk by trees every day and forget to say thank you I, I all the time missing the gratitude. And so my curiosity is driven in part as a desire to feel what it le- feels like to be completely alive because I have been numbed out, man. I am. I'm freaking, you know, dull little weed blowing in the wind because of all the programming and uh, all of the distraction and the freaking Instagram and all of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But at moments I get it, like I get to sink into it. And, you know, I was out kayaking the other day and, and I hear this huge breath behind me and I'm out in the middle of the ocean and I turn around, there's a sea turtle that just came up and like blew out all of its air right behind my kayak and stop it and suddenly there's a huge puff of air. I was, I'm surrounded by six turtles over the next like 20 minutes uh, over this coral reef that I'm floating in. It's a totally still day. So you, it's one of those moments where you feel like you're in an airplane looking down at the earth, but you're on the water looking down into this world of the coral and fish everywhere and these massive sea turtles just like, you know, grazing down there. And in that moment, I start to get a sense of this is alive. I'm alive right now. Thank God I'm alive right now. Yeah. And I hope that next time I turn on my computer, I can carry a piece of that mother nature into that experience so that I remember that the electrons coming off that screen can't even compete with the solar radiation coming out of me and the joy that I could project out into the world and the love I could see and, and the, all of this. Like, I just have this overwhelming hunger for more of that. And so that's what keeps me curious. Wow. The intelligence that you tune into, you know, it's funny on, on the Ion Biome site, you say that we believe in the intelligence of nature and, and really what you want to do is build this healthy relationship with these products and the people that consume them. But, you know, really what I see this as is I see this as a Trojan horse. You know, we can't meet levels of consciousness with this kind of speak that's very high vibrational, whether you want to call it woke or awake, doesn't really matter. Um, but what you're doing is you're giving something on the 3d world that's tactical and practical for people to actually heal their gut and help mother earth breathe so they can breathe better themselves. Uh, we've already had like four people say, I ordered ion biome <laughs> just watching the show. Um, <laughs> you gave us 15% off, which we're super grateful for. So thank you for that discount. It's wellnessforce.com forward slash biome. As we wind down this incredible conversation, um, I'm inspired to ask you this. I'm inspired to ask you about this, uh, question of intelligence, you know, for almost 400 shows, we've been exploring physical and emotional intelligence so we can live our life. Well, how would you actually define intelligence? Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, uh, intelligence, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. People are always tempted to ask, like, what's consciousness and all that? But intelligence is a, a slightly different thing. Um, intelligence is, is, I think, pattern recognition and um, sensory processing of consciousness. And consciousness is a huge you know, flow of energy through the universe, and we can tap into that. But from that, just being in flow isn't what we're called to do as human beings. I think that's what you were just a moment before you came into, into the body. I think you were in total flow as a soul. I think you were an ancient being that, that flowed in that energy field of, of consciousness. But in the body, we are called to do something very physical, very, very minuscule in time. Uh, you know, the, a lifespan of 90 years in the course of a four and a half billion year planet, not to mention the age of the universe we are in a split second, a millisecond of time 
over a 90 year lifespan. And intelligence comes in there. So I think intelligence is in the same way that consciousness and the soul are in line with in the singularity. Intelligence is to the human body what con- consciousness might be. It is the physical manifestation of, a, of the, the electromagnetic field of consciousness. And so intelligence starts to take on structure that is as ethereal as our bodies. Intelligence is only there for a moment because we're going to find out we only were seeing through the glass darkly a moment ago. And now we see a little bit better and then we'll see a little bit better later. And so I want to encourage physicians and scientists who are maybe in the audience or out there. You send this to somebody who's a doctor on the front lines and they're like, what cyanide poisoning? Nobody told me that. I can fix that. You know, don't worry if patients have died in your care. Don't worry if our consciousness and knowledge and intelligence didn't prepare us to save every life out there. It wasn't the calling of us as physicians to fix everything or to save every life. Our calling as physicians was to be humble servants to those that are in need. And we should do that with a a full humility in what we don't know. And so when we find out a day later that we didn't know the right answer, that's a dub. We, we, We should have that premise going in every day that we don't see the whole picture. So don't feel badly about you will. You will feel sorrow for what you didn't know. But, but don't let that slow you down to now apply the new knowledge and, and gain new intelligence and go again. The intelligence of nature is very physical. The intelligence of the spiritual realm and consciousness, that's very, very ethereal versus very concrete here in the, in the intelligence sector. So the intelligence of nature that we are now you know, really just so amazed by, as soon as we found out that's our new brand, we were like, oh my gosh, how did we not see that seven years ago? Like. <laughs> That's yes. the most obvious thing in the world. You like, you know, it is of course the intelligence of nature. Now we need to build this. And and the Trojan horse effect is I know I can hand you that product and change your life because you're about to put up boundaries. So the first thing that happens when you put the wireless communication network, which is what the active ingredients are pulled from soils, ancient 60 million year old soil, they pull out the communication network between the bacteria and fungi, take that. And the first thing that happens is that the gut lining starts to lace itself back up. Roundup and other toxins, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like uh, ibuprofen, Motrin, uh, alcohol, all of these things break tight junctions. They create a leaky sieve of your gut and your vascular blood, brain barrier, kidney tubules and the rest. So we've turned into leaky sieves. Your self-identity is literally defined by those boundaries at the biologic level. I think that glyphosate Roundup had this subtle way of destroying self-identity, undermining our self-identity at the cellular level that led to the highest rates of depression, anxiety, and loss of function that we've ever seen in neurologic history. Mm. The crazy thing that happens when you put back in the intelligence of nature is the human self suddenly wakes up and realizes, oh my gosh, I don't have nearly enough tight junction structure. I'm going to start pumping proteins out. We see elevations of Everything from amino acid production, like lysine from the microbiome, all the way to production of complex three-dimensional structures of type junctions, gap junctions. Gap junctions are the fiber optic system that runs light energy between cells. All this stuff starts building out of seemingly nothing. The product doesn't have any of that in it. The product doesn't do anything. Product is the communication network between the cells. The cells know what to do. The intelligence that is in that bottle is unleashing something much deeper, which is your own intelligence. It took me three years of using this product before I started to put these pieces together to realize that a year into use of this product, my patients were starting to come into the clinic with extraordinary stories, crying, giant smile, big hug. Doc, you're not going to believe what I did last week. 
I finally left my husband who has been abusing me for 30 years. I finally put a boundary down and I'm not going to let that happen in my life anymore. Doc, you're not going to believe what I did. I just quit my job that's been sucking the energy out of me for two decades. And I started the company that I've always wanted to start. And I just thought these patients were just doing great stuff and all this. It took me a while to realize that a microscopic boundary is the beginning of self-identity. The beginning of self-identity is the beginning of healthy macro boundaries, spiritual, emotional, and otherwise in your life. And that's going to allow you to do your purpose better. So when somebody hands you a bottle of Ion Biome, it's not some ancient message. It's literally unleashing you. And that gets me excited. Wow. I, um, it's funny, as you were speaking, I was getting this like fluttering feeling in my stomach. And I think about how many, quote, gut experts we've had on the show. But the way that you've explained this today, I know everybody felt this. Um, it's on the screen right now, wellnessforce.com forward slash biome. Zach, what can we take from where we are in history right now? I had a moment when I was in a plant medicine journey last year, and I saw how my life was one word on a page in millions and millions of pages in the book of existence. And it was a surreal experience and I'll never forget it. And, and I know in your work, um, there's this blending of science and spirituality, but in the nexus of all these things, you know, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, uh, you having a, uh, spiritual experience in a physical body, how would you define wellness? If somebody were to ask you your definition of wellness, uh, what does wellness and well-being mean to you? How would you define that? In a word, it's surrender. You need to stop holding on to everything you believe, all the all the roles you play, all of the the identities that you have taken on. You might be a mom or a husband or a dad or a brother or a sister or an employee or a boss or a CEO or a lineman. These these titles really weigh us down with false beliefs about how, you know, that how tiny we are. Like, you know, we get weighed down in, in, in this wellness is, is understanding that you are being given right this second, a millionth of a second at a time, the opportunity to take all of the energy in the universe to manifest a single physical experience. Wellness is being new every time you have that experience. If you felt bad with the last millionth of a second, well, let go of the things that were making you feel bad that millionth of a second and be new right this millionth of a second. The, the wellness is the ability to surrender your, your anchors of belief and memory and empathy even. Empathy is a toxic thing. It can really poison us quickly. We see somebody else having a thing and we create our own personal emotions to attach to somebody else's journey and then we poison our own bodies with that. Empathy is a dangerous, nasty little bug that I think it needs to be eradicated. We need to be reverent, not empathetic. Empathetic is narcissistic, really. It's like, oh, I'm so important that I'm going to come have an emotional experience around your journey. Don't be empathic. Be reverent to the next millionth of a second, and you will be more well for that because you won't be tied down to your emotional journey or somebody else's emotional journey. You will be free. And so wellness is surrendering the last second so you could have a new second now. Wellness is then expecting the ability to co-create with Mother Nature the next second. You are not a reactive being. You can keep yourself in a reactive state, but at the being level, you are a proactive soul that stepped into this moment in the tipping point of humankind to be alive right now with seven and a half billion other people to create a paradigm shift, create a massive cataclysmic shift in human existence to manifest something much more beautiful 
And that might happen through our extinction and death. And we will be so much more beautiful on the other side of this physical veil with whatever millions of the seconds we can accumulate between now and then. And I'm okay with that journey and nor should we be, you know, overly, you know, self-imported and, and dramatic about that. A species blinks out every 20 minutes to extinction. We're not crying about them. And so we need to take it very millionth of a second at a time right now. We have 200,000 years of misguided, low energy, low, you know, experience as a, as a species. But over those 200,000 years, individuals has tapped into not just consciousness and the stars and the ethos, they have tapped into the physical now and they have created radical change. Gandhi didn't tap into some, you know, spiritual journey. He simply just fasted into the physical journey of fasting and starvation until the world paid attention. That's a physical mother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy yeah. smokes. That is not some like I need to teach people. He's willing to have a physical moment every second in protest to the behavior of a nation. And he did that to change a world. Mother Teresa never taught anybody anything. She just took a physical millionth of a second to have reverence for somebody in the, in the gutter. She never did. She, Mother Teresa was so beautiful in that she was never like, oh, I, I saw this person who was suffering. And she never had any tone of empathy in her voice. She had reverence in her voice. Every human life is so important, she would tell us. Every human life is so vital that we respect it. She was a reverent soul, not a, not an empathic, you know, emotional soul. She had a physical understanding of intellect and how it emerges with spirituality. And so wellness is going to be something like a Mother Teresa. Wellness is going to be something like a Gandhi. Wellness is going to be something like Christ energy and history there. It's going to be something fascinating that has to do with being so physical right now that we become plugged into an infinite capacity for memory, knowledge, consciousness, all the rest. You but know, you're going to have to surrender everything. Without exaggeration, um, that truly was the best answer I've ever heard to the signature question of, of how do you define wellness? Because I think everyone felt your, your answer while they heard it. And I think that's when the truth really sticks is when it's a universal thing we all can believe. So just thank you. Deep reverence for your work. Um, I loved how you, you explained wellness and the differentiation between empathy and, and reverence. Um, there's a call to arms on the planet. You know, we're all being called into action right now. I talked about my sacred anger earlier. There's so much information yeah. out there. If you could leave us with a parting sentence or two of guidance to navigate our hearts right now on the world as to what we can do from an inspired place, what would that be? This is a gift that was given to me this last year by Patrick Gentempo, who's one of my my best friends and, and you know, I think is a spiritual guide for the world, too. Uh, he's an amazing chiropractor, um, just brilliant human being. Uh, but he went on a spiritual journey last year and uh, came back with a message for me that just it rocked me to my very core. And I burst out crying even before he said it because I could feel it coming. I knew it was going to be the most important thing I'd ever heard. And um, I have been railing for years and years about this thing called love. I, I, I've been telling people all over the world, like, I don't think we get it. I don't get it. I don't I, I know we keep saying that everything is made of love. And I, I keep hearing from John Lennon on down to, you know, your, your person on the street now that everything is about love, but I can't feel it. And I'm watching, you know, 60% of American households blown apart by divorce. I'm seeing child abuse at record levels. I'm seeing sexual abuse in my clinics that I can't even believe, fathom the, the evil in it. 
tell, tell me that humans, if everything's made of love, how can we be so disconnected from it? How can we be? And so I've been just in just horror over this. If this is really the meaning of life and this is what everything's made out of, why are we missing it so badly? And why can't I manifest it in my own marriage better or my own relationship to my children? Or like where? And so he came to me, he said, I had this extraordinary journey and I talked to, to a deep spiritual intelligence and I had this conversation and it got recorded, thank God. Um, he, while he was in this meditation, this, there was a recording being done and this conversation got recorded and it had to do with the message was that humanity is dying largely because we keep thinking that the fabric of life is beauty. I'm sorry that the fabric of life is love. And as soon as he said that, I just, that's when I started crying. I was like, that is why I'm, I'm failing. It's because I think it's made out of love. And, and I think that I'm missing that. And and this is, if if this is some deep spiritual being saying that's our mistake, then I can't wait to hear the answer. And he delivered the answer the next second. He said, the fabric of the universe we live in is beauty. Love is the experience of witnessing beauty. Love is not a thing. Love is not even an action. Love is the result of witnessing beauty. And I just cried like a freaking baby. And it just took 10,000 pounds off my shoulders because I suddenly realized I don't have to manifest love. In fact, I can't manifest love. All I can do is see beauty and react to that. And through that, I will be a vessel of love and I will pour love through me, not because I'm, I know how to love, but because I recognize beauty. And so for each of you who are trying to struggle with why, why don't you have self-love? It's not because you don't love yourself. It's because you just haven't given yourself the breath and the time to find your own beauty. And so find that beauty, dig in, and you're going to be able to love like you've never known before. Hmm. ZachBushMD.com. Just thank you for your presence. Uh, what a gift to be able to hold this space and conversation with you. Um, ZachBushMD.com is the website. Thank you, Zach, for coming on the show. Josh, awesome. And I'd be remiss to miss Jen's message to you. Jen wanted to send her love to you. And hey, of course, everybody else out there, if there's a, if there's universal love in my life, uh, this woman embodies uh, that. And so uh, uh, she's just a gem. Uh, she's a real gift to the world as well. Um, she's got some real beauty in, in hey. who she is. You can see her uh, also, jenperelbush.com. Um, she's got just a lot of cool beauty in what she does, uh, everything from the photos that, that she represents in those spaces uh, and everything else. She's, she's got a simple genius to uh, how humans need to communicate. And so as a coach, she's just uh, revealed so much beauty in the world for the simplicity of it. Communion it's, a cool, is so it's a cool moment for me because I remember, gosh, I think it was 10 years ago in Solana Beach. I took a class when she was a yoga instructor. And here we are. Isn't, <laughs> isn't life an amazing journey, man? Uh, it's it's such a cool journey. So all my love to your, to your wife and, and my love to everyone here on the podcast uh, watching us live today. is just hundreds Private. and hundreds of comments. Um, give Zach some love on social. Follow us, wellnessforce.com. And um, until Zach sees you again, until I see you again, our eyes are looking at your eyes and we're wishing you love and wellness. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. 
get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.